you don't know who I am, my name is John Jansen. I'm an intern here at the church. I work um, largely with the kids' ministry and also a bit in coffee. I'm delighted to be with you today. The passage that we're going to be talking about today is Psalm 68. And if you're looking in your Bible now, you might be thinking, oh no, this is a long one. And uh, it is a long one, um, but I, I'm hoping to move through it quite quickly today. I won't be doing my normal thing of sort of going largely verse by verse. Mainly what I hope to do is use this psalm to maybe ask some bigger questions um, that hopefully we can take with us as we look into other parts of the Bible and as we sort of engage with this psalm as well. So, but before I do that, why don't I pray to get us started? Dear Lord, I thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you for the technology that can bring us together. Um, I pray that as we spend some time in your word, I pray that you would illuminate for us um, some meaning, some meaning that'll stick with us as we go throughout our day um, and perhaps even longer. I pray that your spirit would be with us and with me as I speak. Pray that you would um, enable me to speak with clarity and um, yeah, that you would just guide us as we spend some time in your word today. Amen. So as I said, the psalm that I'll be reading is Psalm 68. I'll be reading from the NIV version, but whatever you have, it's just fine. And I am going to read, um, I'll read through it the whole way, but then as we go back, um, we're only going to be touching on some certain spots, but I just thought I'll read it. So if there's anything that sticks out to you, you can mark it and uh, go into it on your own time. So this is Psalm 68. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God, praise his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and rejoice before him a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God, you refresh your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. The Lord announced the word, and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings and armies flee in haste, in the camps men divide the plunder. Even while you sleep among the campfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. When the army... When the Almighty scattered the kings of the land, it was like snow fallen on Zalman. The mountains of Bashan are majestic mountains. Rugged are the mountains of Bashan. Why gaze in envy, O rugged mountains, at the mountain where God chose to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from, them, from men, even from the rebellious. 
that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from depths of the sea, that you may plunge your feet in the blood of your foes, while the tongues of your dogs have their share. Your procession has come into view, O God, the procession of my God and the King, into the sanctuary. In the front are singers, after them the musicians. With them are the maidens playing tambourines. Praise God in the great congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them. There the great throng of Judah's princes, and their princes of Zebulun and of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. Show us your strength, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls among the calves of nations. Humbled, may it bring bars of silver. Scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord. To him who rides the ancient skies above, who thunders with mighty, mighty voice. Proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. You are awesome, O God, in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. So, again, as I said, it's quite a long psalm, and there's quite a bit to unpack here. And so, um, what I hope to do is sort of just go through and quickly clarify some of the questions that I had when I was going through this. Sort of, oh, what does that mean? What, where's that? You know, sort of just answer some of those questions. Um, but then more than that, I hope to sort of wrestle with something that I constantly kind of confront when I read a lot of the Old Testament literature. So flipping back through, um, one of the first things that came up for me was uh, the question of what some of these animals might mean. You know, for example, in uh, verse 30, it says, Rebuke the beast among the reeds, the herd of bulls and calves of the nations. And so doing some looking into things, I found that this was a reference to Egypt, who's sort of the traditional oppressor of Israel and sort of the first um, and sort of the primary image of that for the um, Israelite people. So when um, they're singing to God and talking about this, what they're doing is they're calling to mind this historical um, trial that they went through and this historical example of how God brought them out from underneath an oppressor, a nation much more powerful than them. And going on, it kind of continues some of the stuff with Egypt. Cush, in verse 31, is um, the upper Nile region, so getting up into Ethiopia. So there's sort of some location-specific content here um, that's relating to the Israelite people. There's this deep connection to the land and the surrounding nations and a lot of history. This psalm is, um, it says in the heading, it's uh, for the director of music of David, a psalm, a song. And this is a song that was sung congregationally. And some of the scholars that I was reading, um, they were pointing that this was maybe a connection to a procession, um, a procession of the ark. 
And so, and I think it's pretty evident in a lot of the language. Um, there's quite a lot of joy that's wrapped up in this. There's a lot of celebration, this boisterous language talking about God's power and how that connects to victory. For me, though, as I read some of these psalms, I really, um, I'm, I really connect with some of the language describing God's great power. But I think something that I wrestle with a lot, if I'm just being honest, is some of the maybe more violent language that we encounter in the Old Testament. There's a lot of mention of God crushing enemies, um, of defeat, of war. And in my context, that's not something that I'm personally very familiar with. I'm very fortunate to live here in Canada, where I don't confront a lot of that stuff on a daily basis. And so recognizing that this comes from a little bit of a different context than maybe one that I'm currently in, um, that forces me to ask some questions about how I'm going to engage with this, how I'm going to, you know, sort of understand this, knowing that I'm necessarily not the same person that maybe, I'm not the same type of person that was originally reading something like this. You know, the Israelite people, they come from... Um, a much more ancient culture, a tribal culture, um, one afflicted with tons of war. They've been overrun by multiple different nations that are much more powerful than them. But with that said, there are still some connections that we can make. You know, today in our world, certainly it's pretty obvious that we can say that there are nations that are great and powerful and that they do inflict harm on those that are um, in positions of less power. But for me, when I think about this language, I, you know, there's, there's this constant call of God's enemies. Even in verse 1, it starts, off, um, it starts off saying, May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. So there's, there's this idea that God has enemies. But when I think about that, the immediate thing that comes to mind is this tension between, well, God is this creator who's created all of us. And God is a loving creator. He creates all and he loves all he's created. But what does that mean then that he has enemies? You know, are these enemies, you know, certain people that he's created, that he's, you know, turned against? And I think that the way that I sort of have been wrestling with this is on one side, I really sympathize with that. And I empathize with that when I think about the great and powerful leaders of this world. Part of me does seek their destruction for the purpose of justice. I think it's really important to understand that when we hear some of the sort of bloody and violent language in the Old Testament, it's not out of bloodlust. There's this deep desire instead for justice. And the victory in war that's accomplished is a symbol of that justice being carried out. And that justice is a mark of true kingship, the true kingship that God obviously has. And what we hope for in all of our leaders, that the needy are helped and that the wicked or the unlawful are punished or judged. We hope that because we don't desire that anyone's oppressed. We don't desire that anyone is underneath anyone else's foot. So there's that's on one side, but then on the other side, when I think about, again, these same leaders, my hope also is that they come to salvation, that God saves them and redeems and changes their heart. So for me, there has existed kind of this tension whenever I confront this language. And there certainly is some powerful language here. The one that really stopped me in my tracks, starting at verse 21, was surely God will crush the head of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. And then verse 23, this is the really tough one. That you may plunge your feet in the blood of your foes while the tongues of your dogs have their share. 
So again, there's this really violent image of victory, but war. And I think that ultimately the way that I've sort of, the thing that God really hit me with um, was perhaps maybe a different way of thinking about it that helped bring myself into the situation as well. And so um, I wrote that down for myself. So I'm, I'm going to read it here um, for you, uh, sort of just some of my thoughts on how I wrestled with this. Who are God's enemies? Does God seek the destruction of those he creates? I believe that God is the creator of all and loves all whom he has created. When I reflect on those who commit great acts of evil and violence in this world, there is one half of me that seeks their destruction and the other that longs for salvation, for them to be welcomed into the family of God as I have. No doubt as Christians, it is our responsibility to fight against the evil in this world and to work towards love and peace for the afflicted. But in this process, it is necessary, but often more natural, to look at those who hold more power than ourselves, the political and religious leaders of our world. It is harder, but crucial also, to look within oneself, to see ourselves in the evil which God must crush and destroy. We have all been given power, both to protect and oppress, to love and to hate. In my prompts, it, it, um, I wanted to call back into our attention um, some of the joy that the psalm, some of the joy that the psalm sort of brings alongside this victory and this violence to sort of help us bring this all together in a way that hopefully resonates with you. In verses 2 to 4, it says, As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord and rejoice before him. The righteous are not morally superior people who love God more and are less capable of evil. Righteousness, these righteous people that um, are able to stand alongside God in his victory over the enemies, is attained only through God's saving work in us as we repent and receive his grace. Here there exists a tension between our recognition of our sinful and evil nature and the profound joy of salvation. We are sinful, but by God's grace, and love have access to his protection and can enjoy him in his victory enjoy with him in his victory over evil this is a joyful psalm that relishes in god's justice and victory it also relishes in his power over evil and we can have joy and strength and share in that knowing that god has the power to defeat all evil both in the world but also in ourselves this for me was the connecting point that I found that helps me sort of handle the violent language in the Old Testament. I'm connected, for me, the big step was connecting the work that God does in my heart to destroy the evil that's within me in order to bring me into right relationship. And that being the same work that he does in the world. You know, it may seem violent in the way that change in our own lives might seem violent. It can be hard to let go of things that we hold on to that are sinful. 
but the joy of being freed from that pain, from that evil is so rich and so great and worthy of joyful language. So for me, this psalm is still a psalm of praise, but rather than just only looking to the outside world and looking at the violence and wickedness and hoping that God crushes these people, I'm instead praying for the larger evil that exists inside all of us, the sin of the world, both in the rich and powerful and the sort of the people we normally look to for the blame, but also in ourselves and connecting that all as God's redeeming work. So as we close, I want to leave us with this thought. If there's sort of anything we can pull from this psalm, you know, of all the rich language, of all the rich history um, that's present in it, and, and it's 35 verses in length, my hope is mainly that we seek to understand evil, both in the sort of traditional systems of power that we work against as Christians, We hope that God does redeeming work in this world and seeks to bring justice and peace, but that we connect that to ourselves. We see ourselves in that picture too. Not that we're clean and and our hands are wiped of responsibility, but that we need to ask that God does that same work in us. But as he does that, that we can step into the joy that God has for us. Why don't I close in prayer? Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it challenges us, that it inspires us, makes us confront ourselves and the things that we believe. I pray that we would continually be open to your word and the way that it shapes us. I pray that you would continually speak to us, calling to attention the things that you are trying to say. I pray that we would eyes have eyes to see the hurt in this world. That we would side ourselves with the oppressed, with those on the margins, as you do. Being a father to the fatherless and, a, and just a caretaker to those in need. I pray that we would see the world with those same eyes and call out against the evil of this world. But not forgetting that it is only by your grace and love that we can become righteous. So I pray that we would continually reflect and just enjoy the work that you do in our hearts, recognizing our need to repent, but also experiencing the joy that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 